Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. In this episode, we explore the spiritual dimensions of type 7. Um, I see in my life where choosing things and sticking with them has brought depth and grounding and belonging and joy instead of scattered excitement. Today, we welcome our guest, Molly Bolton, who leads with Type 7. Welcome, Molly. Hi. First, I want to invite all of our listeners to listen with all three of your brains. So take a moment to be grounded in your body, open in your heart, and have a curious mind. We want to invite each of us, the inner Type 7 in each of us, to listen in. So let's take a deep breath. And so an overview of type seven. Remember that this is a high energy type, three, seven, eight, high energy type. And seven is in the thinking triad. So you might call them a high energy mind. The mind moves quickly, is quite curious, um, and seeks stimulation. So that is a driver for this type structure. So with a focus of attention on best case and looking for possible possibilities in the future. This type loves to learn, um, experience new adventures. You might say that their worth is somewhat dependent on these new adventures and new experiences, at least in the mind of a seven. And this is a core illusion of the type. So it keeps them moving quite quickly. I like to say of type seven that they fill and then flee. And so part of the spiritual practice here for this type is emptying, as it is for all of us, because the pathway to the divine is certainly one of subtraction, not addition. And so we'll hear more from Molly about this um, practice of emptying later. So this is the spiritual dimension of type seven, and so we remind our listeners that the spiritual transformative piece is from vice to virtue, so the vice of seven being gluttony, and the virtue being constancy. When we say gluttony for type seven, it's a gluttony of the mind. It's a, it's a monkey mind. And as they move to constancy, it's a settling of the mind and a focusing on one thing at a time. And this constancy, this focus, then creates in type seven an amazing presence like no presence and they become the teacher in this. And that is their holy work. We call it the enlightened spiritual perspective for type seven. They become the teachers in presence. So welcome, Molly. Molly Bolton is a medical intensive care unit chaplain at a large hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Molly received her Master of Divinity degree here while at Wake Forest University School of Divinity, where we're recording today. Uh, and is pursuing ordination in the United Church of Christ. Uh, 
And Molly is passionate about poetry, which I know very well, Molly, and love your poetry. And she is, sees poetry as a tool for healing and is curious about the connection between spiritual practice and justice-making work. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to begin by reading this uh, brief poem by, by Rumi. The mystery does not get clearer by repeating the question, nor is it bought going to amazing places. Until you've kept your eyes and your wanting still for 50 years, you don't begin to cross over from confusion. Anything strike you from that? Well, I have that poem on my desk. Okay. Yes. Um, a lot of things strike me from that. I read it often and know it well. Um, the virtue of the seven, another word for it is devotion. That's my favorite word for a virtue of um, the seven. And understanding devotion or keeping your eyes still um, as the spiritual practice of the seven has been very transformative in my life. Um, so I think about that poem often, what it means to keep your eyes still. What does that mean spiritually? What does that mean in my day-to-day -day life? Um, how can I cultivate keeping my eyes still within myself? Yeah. C can you give an example? Like, what, what does that look like in your daily life? So happiness comes from internal disposition, not external things. This is the way that I think about it, right? right. And the ways that I have cultivated that, the way I understand spiritual practices that help me with um, constancy, Yoga and meditation and being quiet and with myself have been um, extremely important, have been central in being able to be still and focused and present and present to pain and sadness too. Mm. Um, silence and being present with your breath, learning to focus on one thought at a time, um, combating monkey mind meditation, right? Yeah. And then my yoga practice teaches me about noticing and being present to pain in my body and noticing it and breathing with it instead of moving from it. Right. And that is something, the practice of yoga, I've been practicing um, regularly for three years now, has changed my, I can feel it changing me hmm. and I understand it very much as a practice. Um, so meditation, kind of in the same way, meditation and yoga as practice, that the stillness of eyes must be practiced and cultivated, um, has been very transformative to me. And I feel myself being better at it some days and worse at it some days, but sure. understanding it as a practice is very helpful. Sure. And so that practice of yoga, getting yourself in your body. Yes. Uh, yes the energy of the mind uh, is lowered into the body and so you're more you have greater capacity for stillness that's right and um i find it much easier to connect with my emotions when i'm in my body and when i'm still mm. and part yeah. of my chaplaincy training has i learned in my chaplaincy training that intellectualizing emotions and feeling emotions are different ah. good which is classics. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't, I, that was amazing to me. Hmm. 
So then understanding how I feel my emotions and what are the conditions that I need to have in order to feel my emotions, and I call it dropping down mm-hmm. into my heart or into my body. Yoga is very helpful for me. Meditation, sitting still. And I, I understand, so in yoga, the, the I was thinking about this when I drive over, the, um, noticing pain and breathing through it and being present with it has been very transformative. And then in meditation, the idea that there are waves that come and go on the surface, but the idea is that you're the ocean, which is boundless and still. So when I meditate, I feel the waves of my thoughts. And then I can occasionally, right, I feel what it is like to be the ocean. Wow. And that is a practice, a practice, practice for me. That's a powerful image mm-hmm. in the ocean. And it, it resonates with what you said earlier about dropping down. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of, well, the word that comes to me is sinking, but, you know, mm-hmm. kind of settling, maybe is a better word. Yep. You know, settling. And so that the waves come and go, but that sort of constancy mm-hmm. of presence, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It strikes me, Molly, that you're a chaplain and in that line of work, you're going to be thrown into the midst of pain and suffering. And what a practice this yoga is, and also your own Mm self-awareness, that you're in touch with your own pain and suffering so that there isn't the fear of others' pain and suffering. Yeah. Yeah, Can you say more about that, Uh, just about for you what's difficult about or what has been difficult? I know you're uh, you're you're doing practices to help you stay with the pain mm-hmm. and suffering. But what kind of that your maybe default or habit of mind or whatever it may be to kind of flee from that? Yeah. Can you describe that some? Sure. Well, chapel, the way chaplaincy training is is like what Sandra said, which is being present to your own pain, so that you're not fearful of other people's pain overwhelming you, and. Um, so a little bit about what I remind myself of. And what chaplaincy training, looking back and reflective practices, remind me there have been times when I have been in emotional pain and it has not overwhelmed me. Hmm. And being, I have been very sad and it has felt like big waves. And here I am today. Yeah, you are. And I will tell you, my friends who showed up for me, and I will tell you that I was held by the divine. Right, hmm. and I will tell you I had terrible days, and I'm, here I am. <laughs> right. And then, so in chaplaincy, I think of a visit I had last week. I'm in a unit where people die often. On Friday, I was present to three deaths. Right For, on Friday, right? right. So, um, but I remember. So I, I, I see very clearly, well, my partner dying would be maybe the worst possible pain I could think of, or my child dying, I don't have a child, but I can imagine if I did, probably the worst pain I could imagine. Mm. So I'm with someone whose partner dies, and I was with someone whose partner was dying, and this is her second partner, and her partner of 40 years, Wow. she was with a partner for 40 years, and then her partner died, and then her beloved who's dying now had a partner for 40 years, and then they found each other, mm. and they had nine beautiful years together, mm-hmm. and there they were, and here she was, mm. right? So the people in chaplaincy give me, I see in their, their sadness and their heartbreak, they're still here, and it gives me the courage to still be here too, and not afraid that the pain will overwhelm me. 
we hear seven say, you know, this, it's like there's a big hole, and I'm afraid if I go into it, this hole of sadness, Mm -hmm. that it's a pit that I'll never get out Mm -hmm. of. And so, Molly, what you're telling us is that you, you went in. You didn't go around it. You went through it. Yeah, and I think it's a, for me, it's a practice of, of going through it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, the idea is that I don't feel a swirling pit of despair that I'm nervous to mm-hmm. go close to. And so an example I'll give is I cry much more now. Mm. Uh, my partner was laughing because lovingly he mentioned that I, I cry every day, you know, and it's, that is true. And he says, no, in the best possible way. Mm. Because I, it is, it's little dropping down. Mm-hmm. So I don't, and it, it makes me feel less over a fear, a fearful of being mm-hmm. of a huge wave taking me out. So you're, you're being constant with yourself. Yeah. So if you want to look at the virtue of constancy, yeah. not just on focusing during your daily life, but you, you're offering yourself an abiding presence, a constancy. Mm-hmm. Chaplaincy, we start at 8 a.m., and that is my job. Mm-hmm. So that is a that is required to be there. And it, where, as a seven, I would often run from really hard things, right? But this is my job, and I like my job, and I'm good at it. Mm. So I will figure out the tools and the resources to be present. And I'm among other chaplains who are doing the same type of work, right? Right. So I have a lot of gratitude for um, a built-in steadiness of the job and my colleagues who are with me, because I think I don't think I could have done it if I was making up the schedule or if I was by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Part of what strikes me in that, Molly, is, I mean, I hear you saying it's the it's relationship, right? It's the people mm-hmm. that, that, that keeps you there. And what strikes me is that you chose this vocation, mm-hmm. or it chose you, depending on mm-hmm. your way you think about it. And it's something that you've continued to show up at, even mm-hmm. though it it calls you to be in touch with other people's pain and mm-hmm. I imagine your own pain. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think of that as, as a powerful way you've chosen growth, right? Mm-hmm. And in this mm-hmm. type seven structure mm-hmm. is that you've chosen to show up to pain in mm-hmm. others. And also, as I hear you say today in your own, and I, I just want to celebrate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I consider it a very deep honor to be present with people. Um, when they're dying or at the end of life or their loved ones who are grieving. And that's what I feel it's a deep honor that I have the capacity within myself and I that people let me be, um, I mean, intimate with them almost immediately, you know, and that I get to be with people as they're with the ones that they love saying goodbye. Mm. So um, I consider it an honor. The, the growth, the, the type of work that I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the work of the tender heart, and seven certainly have that. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful when that tender heart can reach out toward others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and empathy. Yep. We know that sevens, um, I like to say, are wired for joy. <laughs> and that's different from excitement. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing from you is, and I have a question about this, is your experience of yourself in taking the deeper dive into the sorrow of yourself and others, has that um, heightened your capacity for joy? What, what's the relationship between those two? That's a great question. Well, 
It's good news because, as Rumi says, it's not bought, what does he say, by uh, adventures? Yeah, not bought by going to amazing places. Amazing places. Yeah. So I don't have to panic about going to amazing places. A poem is not a good poem, nor does it have any meaning or relevance to the world if, it is, if there's no nuance, if it's not holding um, hope and kind of sadness at the same time. It is not a poem. Even poems that are joyful have understanding that um, we leave the people we love at some point. Yes. And we all experience pain. So if I understand my life as a poem, then I get to have um, joy and uh, heartbreak on the very same line in the very same in the very same stanza. And, and that is a much more beautiful poem, and it's much truer, and it's not a panicked poem. Yes. So that's why I love poetry. It has. Um, it is. Um, a deep honoring of the beauty and joy of life and not afraid of pain and it's it's in the same handful and it's a much kinder way to be to yourself and to others I'm really hearing from you Molly that you trust yourself that I trust myself? That you trust yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're in the triad for, for which in the thinking triad, tr trust is an issue for mm -hmm. five, six, seven. And here you are trusting no matter what knocks at your door, not no matter what line of the poetic verse mm -hmm. your life is in, that you'll reach the end of that line and move to another. There's a trust. I have a lot of gratitude for my friends and my family and my, mentor, my mentors for loving me well. Um, I remember, okay, so within myself, I know the, the fear to, the, to run, um, to think the pain's gonna overwhelm me. I know these things, I was taught these things, right? <laughs> that this is a, the, and I've seen them in my life. I've been able to reflect on patterns in my life. And shout out to my friend Katie, who I was um, in, a good, I'm in a good relationship with a man, and she was, I was saying, Katie, but what if I, you know, this isn't the right option, right? Well, all the options, right? Choosing in a relationship, seven. When you're choosing someone, there go all your options. That's right. Right? And I didn't realize this was not a fear of other people. <laughs> Maybe it is some, but it's like, that's like a very big fear. Absolutely. And my friend said to me, well, Molly, there, there are surely better suited friends for me than, uh, for you than me. But here we are. You can trade me in. <laughs> and and her saying, her saying to me, it is our fifteen year, ten years of friendship, of us loving one another and showing up for one another. Mm. That that is what matters and what makes life deep and beautiful and meaning. And and of course there are many good partners I could choose. But for me, I have seen in my life that it is the practice of showing up for your friends and your family that brings deep joy and belonging, not switching friends. I know that from my friendships, right? So in my relationship, I get to say, part of my, jo what deeper joy can I understand by choosing someone and by showing up? And that's a different, that was a, um, that's something that I'm learning about. That's constancy. Yeah. W what you're naming is constancy. Yeah. In the face of fear that says you may be missing out. Right. And that is a strong fear in the mind yes, of a seven. And that's where this little word called scarcity comes in. Mm -hmm. 
I'll miss out. I won't have the time mm -hmm. I need to explore all of what I want to explore. Yeah. And in the same regard, you know, I'm, think, I'm thinking about um, vocational calling, right? Yeah. And the idea, the, it's such a freeing idea for me. There are many vocations that would be appropriate for you and that you would like and your um, joy would meet the needs of the world. There are many. Why don't you choose one? Right. And give yourself to it. And, and that's the, and vocation means, for me, vocational calling is not job, but it is, it is calling to the world, right? And so the idea, that, and, I've, and this is when reflection, journaling, processing with my friends helps me because um, I see in my life where choosing things and sticking with them has brought depth and grounding and belonging and joy instead of scattered excitement. Mm. Ooh. What a contrast, mm -hmm. joy and scattered excitement. Mm -hmm. What's a healing image of the divine for you? Mm -hmm. um, Parker Palmer's hidden wholeness is something that resonates with me a lot. Like the poem, things are whole. They're not um, joy and sorrow live in the same place and don't you don't have to pick one. Hmm. Um, that's also how I understand when I'm with patients a lot or myself, I understand that there is a wholeness about us and it is some way that we're not loving or seeing ourselves that um, invites bad action, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I, I say, how can I move towards the hidden wholeness within myself so I can have loving action towards myself and the world because I'm missing it somehow. Or, and seeing others as missing their hidden wholeness a little bit if there's something that is, you know, what is it, um, some toxic thought within themselves or action mm -hmm. or, or self-talk or whatever. So hidden wholeness, and then I also use um, sacred worth capitalized mm -hmm. <laughs> when I interact with with other people my friends patients my family myself my neighbors I think about our sacred worth within each of us and I like process theology because God is that which is becoming and that is helpful for um, me in my practices I am that what God is that which is becoming so this is becoming as part of the divine process the right. process of understanding God your um, capacity to stay with in the face of a type structure that says move on quickly you'll be trapped it's a great fear of being trapped or confined here but what you're finding and what you've told us is that in staying with yourself and with those who are important to you and with your work that in fact you have more freedom yes and that is also the dream and some days I'm better at it than others but having that as an image is very helpful for me to know when I'm feeling overwhelmed or when I want to do a million things, having an image of hidden wholeness or knowing that um, joy comes with depth right. is very helpful to how I return back to myself. Right. Even if I'm scattered all over the place one day, even if I, even if I want to quit my job and break up with my boyfriend, and it's like, okay, let's sit for a minute. Right. 
Because you probably neither. You actually want to do neither of those. <laughs> right. <laughs> you actually love your job and love your boyfriend. <laughs> and they're both very good for you. Mm. But it's the, it's the um, practice of returning to depth, right? And, and I forgive myself for the little projects that I start and don't finish. Mm. And I say return to the bigger ones. Yeah. So you, you, you've said this, I think, a bit, but I want to see if there's anything more you want to add to it, but the ways that you return to the depth, like when your mind goes, I want, mm-hmm. I'm out of here, right? Mm-hmm. So you've talked about a yoga practice, and you talk mm-hmm. about seeing stillness, but when, you, when your mind does that, what, what, what's a, what, what do you do that helps you come back to that depth? This poem comes into my head all the time. You, I, you have to look it up. Matthew Siegel, it's called Sometimes I Don't Know If I'm Having a Feeling, is the name of the poem. <laughs> it's a sevens poem. <laughs> It's a seventh pound. It's great. Right? And he goes, um, I wish I could do all of it, but he says, so I check my phone, so I squint out the window, and then if there's an image of, of um, a party happening. And then at the end of the poem ends with how easy to forget the obvious. Mm. And there, there's a line, my room, my body, my apartment are containers, and I am thusly contained. How easy to forget the obvious, the walls, the light, the apartment, your love. Mm. So I think... <laughs> this poem comes to my mind. It, uh-huh. Poems tap me on the shoulder a lot. They're like, hey, girl, um, you're probably having a feeling. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then I think, okay, and then the practice of, of, grati- of gratitude and brings me right back to the present. Mm. Because of my capacity for joy, I do my gratitude list. I'm like, okay, today. I'm, and I usually have a lot to be grateful for. But I think of how easy to forget the obvious. And that's when I start with the obvious. What's going on now? Can I have gratitude now? What am I feeling? Um, so. And, and what I hear in that is it calls you to the present. Yes. And it, and it, and it calls away from the habit of mind, which is planning for the future, what if, what if, what if, right? But it calls you right back here. And some days, and just noticing, right? Okay, so Mary Oliver says, attention is the beginning of devotion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Attention to breath, attention to present moment, attention to maybe I'm having a feeling. Attention to today, instead of working on a project that I really should work on, I planned a trip I'm going to do in two years and a tattoo I'm going to save money for. Right. Okay. Right. What's going on within <laughs> myself? Understanding that that is, there's, there's, am I having a feeling? What am I avoiding? Do I just need to sit down and do this project? Um, so I think the, the um, attention to what's going on and then to the moment. I, when I'm feeling monkey mind, I like to cook. Mm. I like to listen to music. I like to go on a walk. Yeah. I'm, I'm struck by the way that you, this is my language, the way you catch yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you hear yourself going, oh, I, I want to quit my job. I want to, and you catch yourself in the moment. I mean, my version of that is no one loves me. I'm going to die alone, you know, abandoned, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I hear myself saying that and I go, wait, 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 that's not true. (laughs) Right. And then I have to readjust. I catch myself. And I love that the way you catch yourself and then remind yourself it's a poem Mm -hmm. or just breathe Mm -hmm. attention to devotion. And one of the discerning uh, questions for seven, and you brought this to the surface, is is this planning that's in my mind right now connected to what I'm doing or disconnected? 
It's a great question. And you're, you're <laughs> catching that. You know, I think I'll cook or I think I'll go do this. I've got a big project coming, but I'm going to plan a trip. Mm-hmm. So what you just said you did, you, you, why am I thinking that right mm-hmm. now? What's going on with me internally? Mm-hmm. A coming back, as Chris said. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. That's beautiful. What is your invitation to grow? How are you being invited to grow spiritually now? Well, Chris, this is the great news for me. It's not about changing anything. Hmm. It is about continuing to practice meditation. I want to get. I want to um, keep practicing meditation, and I want to keep practicing yoga, and I want to keep reading poems, and I want to spend time outside. So for me, there are many, many things that I love, but I have seen and felt my spirit shift with these things. So my invitation to myself is to stick with them. Beautiful. Mm. Mm -hmm. Stick with it. Keep doing it. Mm -hmm. To still the eyes. Yes. To still the eyes. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Shall we close with a prayer, Chris? That'd be great. Would you like me to? This is specifically for type seven. Yeah. So we offer it to you, Molly, and to our listeners as well. Holy creativity, your love and grace know no limits. You offer the completion I seek. Lead me to my fulfillment that awaits me when I rest in the calm of present moment. My mind seeks such calm. Empty me now of my obsessive planning and all the ideas that overwhelm me. Soften my fears of missing out so that I can allow my energy to deepen me to the gifts of this moment, gifts that lead to my wholeness. Connect me to my heart that I may feel not only my joy, but the richness of my sadness. For both bring me home to my deeper self where I find the freedom to be me. Guide me on the path toward reverence. Amen. With heartfelt gratitude for this time with you, Molly. I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to continue to look courageously and lovingly at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner, who provided recording space, and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth. And in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.